Today we are continuing with our DNA teaching, um, uh, DNA series, which, which Jerry mentioned some of it, um, and, and those five words uh, who identify, identify who we are as a church. And, and those words, as you know, are spirit-led. Uh, we're led by the spirit, not by our strength. We're inter-ethnic. We're not just multi, but inter, like Jerry mentioned. We're a, a home away from home. We're a healing community. We believe that healing comes through Jesus, right? Um, and then we're a global community, which is a global and local. We're both global and local. Um, and more on that uh, next week, um, which uh, we'll talk more about that later, what's, what's happening. Um, so in the last couple of weeks, um, I spoke on what it means to be a spirit-led and inter-ethnic community. Uh, if you want to know more about that, go to our resources in ucd-nyc.org, and then you'll find those two sermons. Uh, first one on spirit-led, second one on being inter, not multi, but intercultural, inter-ethnic community. So if you haven't, uh, uh, if you weren't here, I encourage you to come and be a part of that. Um, so in the last uh, uh, couple of weeks, I spoke on what it means uh, to be those two. Uh, but then... Um, Today, we're going to focus on the third word, and that third word is to be home away from home. Again, uh, last week, though, we, we talked about what is interesting. Somehow, all of this is, like, connected, right? On the first week, we talk about being spirit-led, right? We don't rely on our own strength, but rather partner with God and are guided by His Spirit to build his, this community. So there's a reliance not on us, but on God, on Jesus's, uh, on Jesus's love, and on, on the Holy Spirit. And then, <clears throat> but then we, we talked about on, on being interacting on, on how we are to be in relationship with each other, regardless of our cultural differences as a microcosm of heaven. So first we talk about our vertical relationship with God, right? Uh, being spirit led as an individual, as community, and then with each other as an inter-ethnic community and a microcosm of heaven. But today we'll focus though, on the third word, and that is home. We will dive into what it means to be a home away from home, where we experience home both in a relationship with God, where we find our home in Him regardless of our geographical locations, and how we also find home in community with one another in our new city, NYC, global community. Right? So, so we're going to uh, be talking about that. Um, but first, a little background here. So what is home? Uh, so I, w- I went to probably the most known American dictionary out there, which is the Merriam-Webster, uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And that's what it says. What is home? Home is one's place of residence. It's a place where you reside, right? So... Basically, wherever you live right now with your roommates or whatever, or you're married with your husband or whatever it is, that's your home, right? That's your place of residence. Um, It's also the social unit formed by a family living together. So it's also that social unit, like me, Andrea, Leo, and Mia, right? That's That's a social unit. So, and then it is a familiar or usual setting Congenial environment. I don't know what congenial is, but I, I'm sure I didn't look it up this time. But that probably means that you're uh, 
in Spanish there is a similar word which means congeniarse, right? Congeniarse means like now that I'm thinking Spanish now I know what it means. So it, it so it basically means like you 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 have chemistry with each other. You somehow uh, you are in an environment where you feel welcome, right? When you say uh, in Spanish you say te congeniaste con alguien means like you got along with that person. That's what I mean. You get along. You're in an, an environment that you sort of get along with, love each other, right? And that's a familiar, it's a usual setting, right? Familiar to you. It's also a place of origin. It's a place you come from. That's how many of you use my home country or my home state or my home city, my hometown. And, and probably 100% of the people here are not, I know for a fact, um, and not anymore, I think Johan is actually. You're a local, right, Johan? You're from New York City? Yeah. Born and raised? All right, so we got, we got a New Yorker right now. But besides Johan, I will say all of us, right? But even Johan, you know, her, his parents came from somewhere else, right? But he grew up here. But somehow most of us, right, have a home country, a home place, a home state, wherever that is, Indonesia, Peru, Ecuador, Etc., etc., you know, the Midwest, whatever, the India. So look at, look at this like definition that it's just on the dictionary. And now a lot of it uh, from, from the verses that Genesis talked about, we're, we're going to go even deeper. Now, uh, the home in the Greek Bible, which we saw on John, we see here the word monet. The word monet in the Koine Greek, which is the New Testament was written, that means um, uh, it's a staying, an abiding, a dwelling. That's what it means. It's a, it's a dwelling, an abide. You're abiding uh, in some place. You're a boat, which means your house. It also means to make one's abode. Abode meaning the place that you dwell, that you reside. Your house, your residence. Very familiar, very intimate, right? That's, that is what Monet means. Very similar to the first right um, definition the second definition is more of the word in the Greek that was translated as at home in English in scripture uh, so so where and exactly so and, and, and that's the, the the question we're gonna ask today right we ask a question about being spirit-led we ask a question what it meant meant to be interethnic right today we're gonna ask a question what it means to be a home what is exactly a home and, and, and where is a home? Where exactly is a home? Right? So, so that's a question we're going to, uh, uh, you know, jump into today's uh, uh, topic, uh, uh, sermon. So first, it is a heavenly home. And you see that on verses 1 through 3. It says um, on John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, his inner circle. The people that he's been doing life, eating, sleeping, going through, you know, all these things. He's been dwelling, basically his home, you know, his homies, like they will say here, right? Uh, are uh, uh, the disciples and, and, and he's, he's encouraging, don't, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, also believe in me. In my father's house, again, house, Jesus he says, there are, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So here there is a lot of like home language, right? He's saying, I'm preparing a home where my fa- in my father's house there are many rooms, which he, we know Jesus was about to get killed for the injustices of humanity, right? So that, aka sin, right? And then he was going to resurrect and, 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 and ascend to heaven with the Father. He's going to prepare that, that, that those rooms for the disciples so that eventually they will go back home to their home in heaven, right? Their true home. Right. Even even um, uh, Paul uh, talks about what the Apostle Paul talks about how like uh, the houses, the homes here, they will be corrupted and they will somehow be destroyed. But there is a home that is incorruptible in heaven. Right. So that is uh, what we're looking what we're talking about today. So. um, So here we see the heavenly home. Here Jesus promises the disciples a home, um, a, a home, a home that he's preparing for them in the Father's house. Now he even encouraging them not to be troubled, for wherever Jesus will go, so those that follow him will go. And that, the, and that one day in the future he will come back to take his followers to the place he has prepared in the Father's house. In a simple read, one might think that Jesus is just talking about building a new house in another dimension heaven but if we put the passage in its cultural context again the context of scriptures are important you'll find out that jesus is making a marriage proposal to the disciples he's pretty much getting engaged metaphorically obviously right what is the most intimate relationship in planet earth of a husband and a wife right god wants to have a a a a relationship that's close Right, and he uses metaphors so that we can understand. God uses metaphors so that we can understand how much he loves us. Right? So he, he uses earthly metaphors to explain heavenly truths. He uses he- earthly metaphors so that we may understand heavenly truths. So if we know the most intimate relationship on earth is of a husband and a wife, and Jesus is telling the disciples a marriage proposal, is he's saying, I love you as a husband will love a wife. Basically, right? How do you know that? Because back then, when, a ha- when, a, when, when someone was proposing and getting engaged to someone, he will say to the woman, I'm going to prepare a, a, a place for you in my father's house. Because guess what? People will move to the, father, to the father's house, right? When they get married. So he said, I'm preparing that so that when we get married, then you will come with me to this new home, to this new place. You used to belong to another home, but now you're going to come to me to this new home, right? A true home. And that's what Jesus is basically saying. So, um, so he's telling the disciples his love for them and his desires to be in relationship to those that follow him is as deep as the most intimate relationship on earth. That is how deep the love of God of Christ is for us. We can see how Jesus compares the idea of home with the, with the level of relationship. Now you see what I'm talking about? The idea of home is he's relating it with the depth of the relationship. 
And we can see this manifested even more in the following verses. So the level of relationship is directly related to the word home. And we see this on these verses. All right. Now, so home is in heaven, like we see in these passages, which is related directly to the level of relationship. But home is also within us. Right. Home is in heaven, but also is within us. Now, within us, when we take a decision in faith, right, to follow Jesus. Now, in verses 15 through 17, we see that if you love me, says Jesus, you will keep my commandments. Basically, you will keep, you will follow what I said. You will believe what I said. That's what he's saying. With actions, not just with words. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. What is that? Who's a helper? That's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. To be with you forever, it says. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells, again, home language, he dwells with you and will be in you. The, the helper, the Holy Spirit, dwells with you and will be in you, it says. So, that's saying that, okay, I'm going to give you the helper. He's going to dwell with you and in you. That means that he's going to make a home. Because as you know, the definition of home is to dwell with permanently in a place together. Right? That's the, the whole thing that we saw uh, on the uh, definition. So Jesus equates home beyond a geographical location. So on the first one, we see a geographical location. Right? On the second one... We see that, that there, is, there is a home beyond a geographical location. Like we saw in the previous passage, but rather the sense of home is found within relationship. Here Jesus mentions that those who love him follow through with actions. On verse 15, remember, if you love me, you will do what I say. Then he mentions that though he will be gone, he will ask the Father out of relationship with the Son. Again, out of relationship with the Father and the Son have a, is also one of the most intimate relationships there. Father and a Son. He'll ask the Father, God the Father, and out of his relationship for a helper. And the helper is the Holy Spirit. To be with you, who is with you, that is us today. Then the disciples, but then after the disciples... Disciples, 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 and then you go down 2,000 years, here we are, right? That's how it just started 2,000 years ago, and just kind of come down the line, and that's us, the church. So, he will ask the Father, um, he says that um, he will ask for a helper to be with you forever, on verse 16, to dwell with you forever. He says that the world might not see, neither know the Holy Spirit, the world, meaning the people that might not know God and they're just going about their own daily rhythms, but are yet to know God, right? They might not see, they might not make sense of this kind of home. They might not understand Jesus or what I'm saying or God or the Spirit. But then he says, um, he says, by you, meaning us, the church, the disciples will know him because he dwells with you and will be in you, verse 17. Jesus is saying that home is found within the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. We'll re he will remind him of, who will remind him of everything they have experienced and learn from the relationship they have had with Jesus, this 
three years. So basically the Holy Spirit in verses that are not here, but if you read the whole chapter, it says that the Holy Spirit will remind the disciples everything that Jesus has taught them through those three years, right? So, so though home was for those three years of ministry, right? For, for, though the home for them was to be with Jesus those three years. Why I say that? Because the disciples eat, sleep, walk, and learn together in community at, at this home, right? This family of, of even beyond 12, because there were even women that followed Jesus, right? So it's beyond the 12 um, that were part of that inner circle of Jesus, right? And they will do home together. Now their home was as a community in the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? Jesus was going to leave. But Jesus is like, I'm going to ask the Father to give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will dwell in, in the community. will empower you, empower the church to go forth and bring the good news of peace, love, hope, joy to the world that are in Jesus Christ. So now their home was this agreement, being with the Holy Spirit and Him dwelling with Him, no matter where they go, even to the ends of the world. Because Jesus sent His disciples to the ends of the world. And it's not geographical anymore. He will dwell with you. He'll make home within you. So we talked about geographically, there's a heavenly home on the first verses. Later on, we see the home is within us with the Holy Spirit. And then on verses 21 to 23, we see that there is a home in partnership with God. Verses 21 to 23 says, Whoever was, has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, says Jesus. And he who loves me will, love, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not, not the betrayer, not the Iscariot, another Judas, said to him, Lord, how is that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered him, and, and here he uses the actual word home, by the way. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And make our home with him. So Jesus is explicit in these verses that a true home is not one way. But rather it comes in partnering with one another. If we truly love Jesus, we see in these passages, then we will do, we will do as he says. And as a consequence, we'll also be loved by the Father. Jesus tests our love for him through tangible actions. It is in this beautiful partnership where Jesus has given his life to the point of death so that we may live. And as, as a natural response, we'll simply follow through his, by obeying what he said. And we do not have an excuse when he left in flesh. For as mentioned in the previous passage and in the previous point, he has given us his Holy Spirit to guide us in doing as he commanded. It is in this beautiful relationship that he promises in verses 23b, which was when, when he talks about that, that we will come to him and make our home with him. It is here in this, in, in this promise that he and the Father will come and literally make their home with us. What a beautiful promise. That in this beautiful relationship we have with the Trinity, because if you think about it, we Christians believe in the Trinity. Three in one, one in three 
is very mysterious and we don't know how there is three in one and there is one in three and and it's okay because if you try to resolve a mystery then the divine stops being divine so mystery is very important for the divine to remain divine but we believe that there is a father the son and the holy spirit and the three of them are mentioned in john for in in, in john 14 so there's this beautiful thing going on here that that um that in this beautiful we have with the Trinity, he promises to make his dwelling place now within us and with us and also then in heaven. So in this passage, we see that there's a heavenly home, something to hope for where there, is, where there will not be tears, there will not be pain. And Jesus puts it in perspective through a depth of relationship as of one of marriage. Because later on, one day he will come and, and take his bride, the church. We all are the bride of Jesus, who's the bridegroom. And he will take the bride to his home forever. Right? So we, we have a hope in the heavenly home. Then we see that there is home within us right now because the Holy Spirit dwells with the believer. Once we believe what Jesus has said. But we also see that home is in partnership. That is a give and take. It is not like... If you, yeah, whatever, I'm just going to keep coming to this church and kind of keep receiving and do my own thing. And, 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 and then that's it. I'm just going to be receiving all the time. And it doesn't work like that. It says like, if Jesus says like, if you do love me, really, if you said that you really love me, then you will just do what I have said. And then people will be like, oh, what do I need to do? What you have to say, Jesus, what's the point? I mean, I don't even know you. Well, he, he died for you. He did a lot already. There's a lot of actions that have been done for us to just do a little action here and there compared to what Jesus has done 2,000 years ago. If you look on Google right now and you put, what is the most influential person that ever lived planet Earth in the history of humanity? Who do you think is going to come up first? Even Google knows it. Time Magazine. They are not even Christians. It's Jesus. Number one, Jesus. Then two, three, four, you'll have other people. But number one is Jesus. Why? Because he just chilled one day and came and just kind of did his own thing and everyone believed what he said as a, just a good teacher. Why there was so much influence in Jesus? He already have done. We don't even have... To think about what he has done for us when he has already done it. And he's still doing it through the spirit. Even now. As the miracles that we have been listening. Genesis giving her testimony. Other people talking about Jesus and what he's been doing in mysterious ways. So. So we see that home is also a partnership. But I want to turn our attention to what's coming. Home is both where I have been and where I am. So first we look at John 14. We see that home is in heaven. Home is within us. And home is in partnership with God. The Holy Spirit, Jesus and the Father making their home in us. Promising the fullness of that home with no pain in heaven. But now in Jeremiah 29. We see that home is both where you have been, where I have been. And where I am 
is both where I have been in India, in Peru, in Indonesia, in China, in Vietnam, in my home state, in Taiwan, in Iran. That's my home too. In Peru, Ecuador, right? That's where I've been. That's home. But it's also New York City. Come on, John. <laughs> but where I have been, but also where I am right now. Why? So turn our attention to Jeremiah 29 now. So first, home is where I have been. Jeremiah 29 verses 1 through 7 says the following. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of exiles. Now, give me, let me give you some, some context. The, empire, the Babylonian empire was taking over at the time. Who took over the Assyrian empire before them. Right? So, the Babylonians are the most, you know, we know by history, was the most powerful empire at the time. And now they have conquered, they have conquered Jerusalem. They have conquered what it was, the nation of Israel. And they were exiling kind of like the, the best of the best from every country. So that, that a lot of people were forced out of there where they have been. Right? So these are the words of the Lord that Jeremiah, who's a prophet, the mouthpiece of God. God brings revelation to Jeremiah, who brings that news to the people that he's speaking to. In this case, those that have been removed from their homeland. That are going to Jerusalem. So, uh, Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar, who's the emperor of Babylon, had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah, and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisha, the son of Shaphan and Jeremiah. The son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So, a lot of good stuff there, right? You know, you see the officials from Jerusalem being taken out. And then it said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. And give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on his behalf. For in his welfare you will find your welfare. But here we see that um, people of Israel were exiled from their home country. Right? We see that right here. They were exiled from their home country into a new and unknown land. Here God commanded them to continue to do the usual things they would do at home on verses 5 through 6. Right? You see here, take wives, have sons and daughters, do the things as you have done it back home. And he basically tells them to settle in this new land and treat it as if they would treat the place where they belong. He even says that as they look for the welfare of their new home and pray to God to bless this new place, they will also find their welfare as a people. Now you must understand that Babylon has taken away and brought so much pain to the Israelites. And now God is telling them to seek the welfare of the very place that has brought oppression to their homeland. Right? So, so we're seeing this here 
The home is where you are. Sorry, I should have switched that. It's 29, 1 to 7, and 29, uh, 10 to 14. So it's all the way around. Right? So home is where I am. We see that from verses 1 through 7. Right? Where, where God is, is saying, okay, this is where you've been. This is where you are right now. And you're going to take wives. You're going to take sons. You're going to make your home right there. So... So God is telling them to seek the welfare of the very place that has brought oppression to their homeland that will require a sacrificial love and a hope that somehow God will redeem them in the midst of their pain. Right? So we see this on verses uh, 1 through 7. Right? Again, this is wrong. It's 29, 1 through 7 right there. It's not 29. I, I messed it up. My apologies. So home is where I am is... This, where I am right now. They are right now in Babylon. God is telling them, sacrifice yourselves for those that have oppressed you, basically. Now, obviously, I don't, I don't know if some of us, the U.S. has taken over our country and we're here and being exiled. Yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of debate there, but, you know, with uh, other stuff that we can get into. But, but all to say, though, is that it's a different sort of situation. Right? But even then he's saying, hey, take wives, have sons, daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage, they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. Do what you've been doing at home, settle right there on your new home, on your new land. But seek the welfare of the city, seek the welfare of the city that you're here right now, that I have sent you to sell, and pray to the Lord in his behalf, for in his welfare you'll find your welfare. Right? Make home of where you are right now. But now, on verses, um, that's uh, where I am, right here. But then, where I have been is Jeremiah 29. Again, uh, split that up to 10 to 14. So where I have been is Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14. And what does it say? Where I have been now. Okay? For that says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, meaning Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you. Super popular verse. Uh, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and do not and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I send you into exile. So now he's talking about where they have been. But where they have been is also home, right? Because he's saying, I'm going to take you back home. But somehow right now you're there. Make it as if it was home. And that's what I meant that here, that home is both where I have been and where I am. So God promises, uh, to, as we notice on, on the next verses, God promises his people that he will gather up all his people back from every nation where they were scattered and bring them back to their homeland and will restore everything that was taken from them, reminding them on verse 11 that the plans God has for them are not evil, but are of welfare to give them a future and a hope. In other words, God is calling them to adapt and settle in the place he has sent them now, while at the same time celebrating and embodying the homeland where they have come from. Knowing that one day we will be gathered to our true homeland, like in the passage of John says, 
um, that we are reminded to look forward to. So that's important. Our home is where we've been, but also where we're now. So to conclude, um, to conclude is that we have been reminded that home is what both define relationally and geographically. In John, we learn that we as a church are the bride of Christ and that soon we will dwell together with him and the father in an eternal place of joy and rest with our brothers and sisters. We also see that our dwelling place is not based geographically, but it is in the communion with ha- we have with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But finally, we see that home is also geographical and is both where we have been in our homeland and where we are now. Now, we sometimes make the mistake, maybe I have it here. No, no, we'll leave it. We sometimes make the mistake of either over-acculturating or under-acculturating to the new place. Let me repeat that. We make the mistakes of either over-acculturating or under-acculturating to the new place, but rather we are called to adapt to the new home and settle as if it was permanent, right? We see that on Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 7, while at the same time celebrating and embodying, not forgetting where we come from. Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14, we see those two places. They're celebrated, celebrate where they have been, but also embodying where they are now. So in other words, as we dwell in relationship with God and make our home in Him, regardless where we're located, then we will be able to make home where we are geographically and be home to others that come from away. Just as Israel was commanded to seek the welfare of the city, where they were at and be home where they were at now. Now, before we go to the reflection, we make the mistake of under-acculturating or over-acculturating. What does it mean to acculturate? That means simply to adapt to the new place that you've come, to New York City. And a lot of times we make the mistake of, of either over-acculturating in the sense like, oh, I'm just going to settle here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy an apartment and, and, and whatever, you know. And, and then you're so excited, which, you, which is awesome that you're excited about getting the visas that you need to settle here and everything. And that's awesome. But then, but then you're like, yeah, about my home country. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm not really excited going home. I mean, I'm just like here. This is where I'm at. And I'm all about New York. Over, you're over-acculturating. You're forgetting who you are, where you've come. And that's over-acculturating, right? You, are, you should be excited, but not too excited to the point that you forget where you've come from. That you're even afraid to go back because of the pain you've gone through as a child or whatever. And you have bad memories, which just simply just takes soul care, right? It doesn't have to do with you trying to, to kind of turn to over-acculturate because of that, right? I have to go through that season myself. You know, I, I, at some point before I got married, two, three years before that, I remember I, I, I was with that kind of mindset. I was afraid to go home. I didn't like to go home because I had a lot of pain because of my dad. And I put certain things together and, and made me sort of over-acculturate, right? And forget where I've been, my back home. Now, with that being said, 
The other mistake we might make is that we under-acculturate. And, and I don't, I'm not going to say, but I've talked to many of you, and I can see some of the over, some over-acculturating, some under-acculturating, because I've been there. That, what do you mean to under-acculturate? I'm not going to buy a sofa. I'm going to live in a year. What's the point? I'm not going to buy a, a, a pillow. It's fine. I'll just be in the floor. Who cares? Who, who, oh, I'm just going to let Piero, you know, pose the stuff, you know. I, I'm just going to go. I mean, I'm going to live in a year and a half, right? Like, what's the point? Again, under-acculturating. You are not seeing what Jeremiah 9, 1 through 7 is trying to say. You need to live now as if it was your home right now. I'm not telling you, obviously, to over-acculturate and buy something and buy expensive sofa, Right? as if you were going to live here for the next 10, 15 years. But all I'm saying is, where is your heart? Is it over-acculturating or under-acculturating? And some of us is like, yeah, well, I'm going to live in a couple years. How do you know that? Are you God to know that? You're not God. You let God be God. I'm never going to go back. Let God be God. Never going to go back to my country. It's just a mess. You know, in my country right now, there are protests. We're going tomorrow. We're flying tomorrow. We're going for two weeks and a half. Do you think the protests stop us to go back? Why? That's where I'm from. That's where I grew up. Why do I have the right to say, like, I'm not going to put my kids into that danger when I have family there. I'm not going to over-acculturate. I could just... Be afraid of what's going on there. People, thankfully in Lima, there's not been the deaths. The deaths have been on other, uh, on other regions. Obviously, you need to have wisdom, right? But all to say is like, not because of something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to forget where I come from. And there are churches that sponsor us in Lima. As missionaries here in, the, in New York City that we're accountable for. We, my mom is there. My brother is there. My family is there. How am I going to over-acculturate? But also I'm not going to, right, under-acculturate and, 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 and be like, oh, I'm just going to go back and not going to do this thing, right? No, I'm not going to host people. What's the point? I'm living in a year. I'm so kind of excited. I hate the city anyways, right? So where are we at? Where are we at? God is calling us to be home right now. And it starts with us first. Just, just acculturate. It's okay to acculturate. Not over, not under, but just acculturate. That's fine. So just reflect these things. If you're not a Christian, a lot of us here are not. That's okay. We love you. Do you know a third of our congregation is not Christian? That is rare, guys. I love that. I love that. A third of our congregation is not Christian. And I'm not saying like people that go to have lunch. Like people that love the community come on Sundays, come into our small groups. So if you're, you're part of the group, which I would die for if you come and believe in Jesus, because that's the hope that we really believe. But that's something between you and God, and it's, that's in your journey with Jesus. 
But that's literally, guys, for those that are not Christian, that's literally why we're making the church. Because we're so in love with Jesus that we know that the, the answer to all your problems is just you believe in Jesus. Just believe what we believe. That, that joy that you see, that belonging that you see, is not us, it's Jesus. And just reflect on these things. In what ways does this passage challenge my view of home? And am I willing to make a space in my heart that Jesus might come and dwell within me and with me? So, just think about that. How how is this passage challenges my view of home? And am I willing to make a space in my heart that Jesus might come and dwell within me and with me? That's the first step. Now, how is the Holy Spirit calling me to apply the concept of home in this season, both relationally and geographically? How is the Holy Spirit calling me to apply the concept of home in this season, both relationally and geographically? Geographically, we talked about, right? The first point was geographically. We have the hope in heaven. Jesus has that geographically for us. There's a, we're first and foremost heavenly citizens. Before I'm Peruvian, before I'm a resident of the U.S., I'm a heavenly citizen. That is a, geogra- that is a geographical truth that we believe that we will dwell with brothers and sisters and God in a place called heaven where there is no pain. But also geographical in the sense that home is now, home is right now where I live as well as where I've been. Both and not either or. So how is, might that apply to that concept? Also relationally, how am I home to people around me? How am I home with the divine, with Jesus, with God? Have I even made the step to believe in Jesus and have him dwell in my heart because I believe he's died for me? Or maybe you've done that. Maybe the next step is like, like declaring that in a public setting through baptism, which is coming on Easter. Maybe that's the next step to make home, to, to, to kind, of like, kind of like, you know, wear the ring when you're married kind of thing. There is an, out, there is an outward uh, uh, manifestation of what's in sight, right? The outward manifestation of one getting married is having a, a whole ceremony and having a ring. It's the same with baptism. If you really mean it, then that is a way of declaring that truth. Or, or maybe there is other things that we, we could apply the concept of home in this season. So let's pray. God, I just pray right now, Father, that um, we, we were in the first question, God, that, that you bring conviction. Uh, that we will make you... Uh, that you will dwell with us, that, that, that you will make home in our hearts. And God, I pray that, that if, if some of us here are convicted to make you be home, that we will pray even now, God, come and dwell in our hearts. Forgive us for the things we've done. For you are Lord and Savior, Jesus. May your Holy Spirit, may the Father, may the Son dwell within my heart today. Or perhaps, Holy Spirit, we've done this. I pray conviction, if, it, if it's baptism or if it's being home to others as a community, as individuals. 
or if it means to, to acculturate, I, I've been under-acculturating or over-acculturating, maybe I just need to check my heart because then I missed being home to people where I'm at and also lost being home to the people that I know back home. So God, I pray for revelation in these things. In Jesus' name. Now a quick challenge here. So take a practical step individually and or communally to be home away from home. To someone else this week, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. As a community, we want to be home, right? That's the whole point. But I pitch this message to you today because that kind of home does not happen unless we get what I've said first down. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Father dwelling in our hearts as home, we cannot be home truly to others. If we are under-acculturating and over-acculturating, we cannot truly be home here now and to the people back there that we're still having connections. And then somehow we naturally can be home as a community together. So now, how can we be home away from home to someone else this coming week? Inviting someone, having lunch, I don't know. How can you make them feel like home? And that's a challenge.